We'll confess our faith first using the words of question and answer 37 of the Heidelberg Catechism. If you turn in the back of your songbooks to page 878, the back of your songbooks, page 878, we're studying who is Jesus, what has he done for us? And we have seen that he is the Savior. He is Christ Jesus, the only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And then we want to look at the word suffered. He suffered for us. Question and answer 37. Question and answer 37 on page 878. This is such good news for us and our children. What do you understand by the word Jesus suffered? He suffered. We understand that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. We think of what people did to him, putting him on the cross, yelling, crucify him. But behind that all, the wrath of God is coming on Jesus Christ. His wrath against the sin of the whole human race. That's what he sustained during his whole life, but especially at the end. And this he did. Why? In order that by his suffering as the only atoning sacrifice, he might deliver us body and soul from eternal condemnation and gain for us God's grace, righteousness, and eternal life. And now let's look at the story of Jesus' baptism where he publicly takes on himself this calling to suffer for us. And you'll find that in Matthew 3. Jesus' baptism. Matthew 3, page 961. In your pew Bibles, 961. It says, during the ministry of John the Baptist, if you look at verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was his ministry, a ministry and a baptism of repentance. And then verse 13, Matthew 3 verse 13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now. For thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he, John, consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. This is God's word and may he bless and build our lives with it. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, think of the meaning of Eloise's 
baptism, water. God sprinkles us and our children with water. And that water means there's dirt. Eloise is the message written on the water. I tell you, you have a problem. Your soul is dirty with sin. You're conceived and born in sin. Eloise, you need a new life. You need to be born again. Eloise, I have what you need. Washing, cleansing. You need Jesus. You need me to cleanse with his blood. You need the Holy Spirit. You need a new life. I have that for you. Take it in faith. It's yours. Take it in faith. Now imagine if during our baptism... Suddenly a man would come walking to the front named Jesus, the real Jesus. And he would say, do this to me too. How would we respond? My Lord, your soul isn't dirty. You don't need a new life. No. We can't do this to you. And Jesus would say, no, but you must let it be so. For it's fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Imagine. And that's exactly what happened to John. And that's what we want to see this afternoon. Jesus was baptized in our sins so that we might be baptized in his righteousness. He was baptized into our sin. So we could be baptized into his righteousness. This is good news. The baptism of Christ. Jesus' baptism and ours. First, he took what was ours. And then secondly, he gave to us what was his. That's the two sides of it. He took what is ours, sin. Judgment. Punishment. He made that his very own. And when he stepped into the waters of the Jordan River, That's exactly what he was saying. I accept this fact of sin that needs to be cleansed. And I make that my own. I come under that. That's what happened there with Jesus. In fact, the gospel of Luke makes it even more clear that while the people were coming to be baptized by John, Jesus came up. So it wasn't One day when John was all by his lonesome that Jesus came up. No, the crowds were there being baptized and Jesus walked up. Right in the middle of it all. Now what kind of baptism is John doing? The Bible teaches that he was doing a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The people were far from God. And they needed God's grace to cleanse them all their sins and the sprinkling of water the pouring out of water was a sign and seal a picture of that so there he was preaching the acts of judgment is going to come upon you confess your sins turn to God and he'll forgive you and those who repented would come forward and Jesus or John would baptize them and he, he looked the part too he wore a garment of camel's hair ooh a leather belt around his waist. 
His food was locusts and wild honey. He looked the part of severity, of judgment, of the need to repent. And then Jesus comes. I want that. You must baptize me. And John tried to prevent him, we read. Why do you come? I should be baptized by you. I'm the one that needs, as a sinner, I need to be cleansed. No, 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 said Jesus. Let it be so now. For it's fitting for us, for you and me, John, to do this, us, to fulfill all righteousness. Fulfill all righteousness? Yes, that means to fulfill God's will that I suffer for sin. That's what God wants for my life. And now in this baptism, I'm going to take that calling upon myself and God's going to declare over my life, he is the status of one who is a sinner. Amazing. Jesus had no sin. But he walks into that water, the Jordan. He gets water poured on him. And he's accepting the reality of sin as his very own. I identify as a sinner. That's what that means. Now the water doesn't actually accomplish the suffering, accomplish the righteousness. It's a picture of what Jesus is accepting as his calling and what he's going to go out now and do. This, is, this marks the beginning of his public ministry. I've come to do righteousness as the son of God. I've come to accomplish righteousness. What's that? God's will that I suffer for sin and set my people free from it. Remember, that's his name, Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. What an amazing moment when Jesus steps into that water and says, I am the sinner. I am the sinner. I self-identify as a sinner. God identifies me as a sinner. For you. I am the dirty one. I'm the unclean one, Eloise. For you. I come under God's judgment. For you. I'm the one who needs to die and rise again in a new life. For you. For you. When he steps in that water. And when John pours it on him. It's a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's accepting the identity of a sinner under God's judgment. Even though he has no sin, but he's stepping in our place. That's what he's doing. He's stepping in our place. That's why Jesus came. Not to be a good role model, though he is. But to be a savior, a substitute. Somebody who stands in my place for me. I stand in your place because I love you. The Father sent me to stand in your place because he loves you. The Holy Spirit will equip me to stand in your place because the Holy Spirit loves you. The triune God loves you. So there in the Jordan, God publicly and openly and visibly marked his son as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus identified as the one who would suffer 
and die as a sinner in our place. And we ask in the catechism, what does that mean Jesus suffered? We say that during his whole life on earth, but especially at the end, Christ sustained in body and soul the wrath of God against the sin of the whole human race. When he stepped into the Jordan River, he identifies as a sinner. God identifies him as a sinner. And he accepts a double calling. I will take your sin, Eloise, all God's people, and I'll take God's wrath for your sin. So look at both of those for a moment. What he took from us. Our sin and God's wrath. Do you know the Bible teaches Jesus became sin for us? He became sin for us. He who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5.21, was made sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He became identified with Sin. Sin became him. He became sin. Not personally and morally. He never sinned. But legally. He became a sinner for us. He stood in our place all the way. The Bible says that in Isaiah 53, right? Jesus is the Lamb of God. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. And think of that for both us and our children. We're sinners. And sin means we love to go our own way, away from God. But the Lord God laid on his son the iniquity of us all. I'll put that on my son. He takes our iniquity, our wandering, our evil hearts, our evil feelings, our evil thoughts, words, deeds, takes that off us and he puts it on his son, what Jesus took from us, our sin. Our sin. And you can know that if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin is lifted off you and put on the Christ. And the other thing he took from us is God's wrath for our sin. God hates sin with an everlasting passion because it's an assault on all that he is and all that he's made. It's a destruction and a ruin of all that he's done, all that he's made. He hates it. And he hates anybody who's identified with sin or his wrath is on them. And when Jesus identified with sin, accepted that, I identify with sin. He also accepted at the same time God's hatred towards sin, God's wrath, and said, I accept that too. I'll take that too. And that's why he became a curse. The Bible says in Galatians 3 verse 13, Jesus redeemed us from the curse of the law, how by becoming a curse for us. He became a despicable thing. That's what a curse means. A rejected thing. But God says, depart from me, thing of shame. Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus became sin, and he became a curse. 
And when he's baptized, he's publicly, visibly identified with that by God, by the Father. And accepting that identity. This is what he will be and become and do for us. You know, when we're in that spot by nature, sinners under God's wrath, all of us. Doesn't matter whether you're Eloise, Esmond, Daniel, Rita, Harry, Alvin, Hermina. We're all in that spot. But Jesus has taken that from us and made it his very own, lifted it from us, made it his very own. And the way to receive that gift is to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Say, Lord, I am that sinner who needs you to stand in my place. Come under sin and God's wrath. I am that person. And when we come to him that way, God says, because of Christ, your sins are gone. My anger toward you is gone. Removed. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of what that means for us when John Bunyan, in his book Pilgrim's Progress, he's carrying this heavy load of sin, so heavy he can barely move with it, this burden of guilt. Then he sees the cross and he walks to the cross and he falls in front of it, and Jesus unties that burden from his back. And it rolls down the hill and keeps on rolling and ends up in a grave and he sees it no more. Gone. Jesus took care of it at the cross. Gone. How gone as far as east is from west? Someone asked an elderly Christian lady, does the devil ever trouble you about your sins? Yes, she said. What do you tell him? The person asked. Well, I tell him to go east. Well, when he comes back, what do you tell him? I tell him to go west. Well, when he comes back, what do you tell the devil? I tell him to go east again. And then I tell him to go west and keep searching because there's no sin to be found. It's cleared away. As the Bible says, as far as east is from west, So our sins, far have our sins been removed from us. That's what he's taken. Crushed. We need to be really clear, congregation, what happens to our sin. God doesn't just sweep it under a rug. He doesn't just ignore it. You know, in Islamic theology, that's what happens. How does Allah show mercy? Well, if your good is higher than your bad, then your bad just gets ignored. But it's still there. It's not gone. But in Christ, in Christianity, sin is crushed to death. It's annihilated in the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can't be found anymore. It doesn't exist anymore. It's gone, truly absorbed, swallowed by the Lord Jesus Christ, finished. Secondly, what does he give us instead? 
The, the baptismal prayer speaks about Jesus going down into the Jordan. And there, in the picture of the water, our sins come splashing on him. And then he comes up and he receives the Holy Spirit. What does he give us instead? He not only takes off our sin and judgment, God's wrath, but he also promises to give us a new life, to give us righteousness and life. I think of that in the promise of baptism in Acts 2. Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptism shows us that God has removed something, sin. But we also receive something, new life. New life. You know, there's an error called Neonomianism. I know, big word, don't be afraid of it. Neonomianism, which says that when you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, he takes away all your unrighteousness. It's gone. He removes all your sin. You're washed of your sin. But then he leaves you at point zero, and it's up to you now to build up your own righteousness by doing good works. It's a terrible teaching. He leaves you at point zero. And now you have to build up your own righteousness by good works. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not only that Jesus takes away all your sin and God's wrath. But he also fills you with righteousness and with his Holy Spirit. Righteousness and life. I love the way the catechism puts that. Why did Jesus suffer as the only atoning sacrifice? so that he might deliver us body and soul from eternal condemnation and gain for us. Gain for us. God's grace, righteousness, and life. Grace, righteousness, and life. Grace is God's favor instead of his anger. And in that favor, he gives us, as Paul says in Romans 5, righteousness and life. Adam's disobedience gave us condemnation and death, but Jesus' obedience gives us righteousness and life. Righteousness means that all Christ's good works are credited to your account. So it was as if you have lived a full life of good works, even though you haven't. All Jesus' good works are put on your account, and God looks at you in Christ and says, you're perfect. You're righteous. That amazing gift. He doesn't leave you a point zero. Say now, work out your own righteousness and we'll see if you do good enough. Oh, no, no, no. He removes all the debt and he gives you a full line of credit. That's what Jesus has done for us. Not only taken away the bad, but supplied all the good. Righteousness. And life, new life in the Holy Spirit, being born again so that we can live for God.
that we can serve the Lord. We can be shaped and trained as arrows in his kingdom and be the frontline soldiers of the spread of the gospel and the defense of the church. Righteousness and life. Jesus has given us so much and made us so rich. And he went through John's baptism. He was baptized into our sin so that we might be baptized into his righteousness and life. And now this Jesus who has accomplished everything for us, taken away all that is bad, accomplished for us all that is good, given that to us, he even comes to our children and says, Eloise, what I did is for you too. Remember what Paul said to the Philippian jailer? Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved, you and your household. That gospel of salvation is now for the children too. It marks them from the beginning of their lives. They grow up with the power of the word of salvation. Now we know as they grow up, they need to accept that by faith. Use it or lose it. But to get to grow up in the cradle of the covenant, it's an awesome thing. And then if you don't get to grow up in the cradle of the covenant, and like Abraham, God meets you when you're an adult and you believe, guess what? If you marry and have children, then your children also grow up in the cradle of the covenant as a believer. It's an awesome thing. And so think of Jesus' baptism. The Father is there, God the Father, saying of his Son, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. The Son is there, the eternal Son of God, coming up out of the water. And the Holy Spirit is there, descending like a dove upon him and resting upon him. And in our baptism, the triune God is present. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit entering into a covenant with us and our children, calling us to cling to him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as our God, and to love him, trust him, love him, and devote our whole lives to him. There's no safer place to be than in the arms of the triune God. That's the life of the covenant Jesus brings you. A life of fellowship with the one true God. Two questions to close with. Do you want that life for yourself and for your children? It's the only life that's truly life. Only life that takes you out of sin and hell and brings you to God and glory. Do you want that life for you and your children? And then the second is, will we instruct our children in that blessed life of what Jesus has done for us when he suffered and died and rose again? It's easy for us as parents to become so busy with ourselves, 
So busy with working hard and making money and running to all the games and taking part in all the programs. There's no time and energy left anymore to spend with our children in the Bible and in prayer and in spiritual conversation. And I'm thankful that you, Daniel, and Rita have a very strong commitment to be devoted in that life of personally walking with your children with the Lord. Learning the Bible, praying, spiritual conversation, committing their lives to the family of God. May God bless that. But let's all remember the early years are so crucial. God places them in our hands for a little while very little while to shape and sharpen the arrows. I know the Holy Spirit is the one, only one who gives us success, but he uses the time we spend. Let's make the most of it. And may Christ, who went down to the Jordan and came out again, may he also be in our lives richly, And save us by his grace so that sin is taken away and God's wrath. And through faith, righteousness and life are given to us and we can walk with this God forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for what you showed us in Jesus' baptism, the calling of of our Savior to identify as a sinner under God's wrath. Jesus, thank you for taking our place there so willingly. It would cost you so much, but you accepted that. And thank you, Holy Spirit, for equipping our Lord Jesus Christ to go through the hell and agony of suffering for us. And now, Lord Jesus, what you have done Will you plant that in our lives and in our children's lives so that we might know salvation and we might walk in that salvation forever. This we pray in Jesus' name, amen.